grab your box of chocolates, give your Valentine a kiss. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of Beware the Board, a horror podcast where we watch a randomly selected horror movie every single week. I'm Bob. I'm Ben. Don't don't be mad at me. I'm not mad at you. Yes, you are. No. Yeah. Ben, this is a happy holiday. You can't fill your heart with hey. hatred at the very hey. beginning. Hey. What? This is not a happy holiday. Why not? Because we're two lonely dudes sitting in a room Who together. Who said I was lonely? <laughs> me. You're assuming things about me, Ben. I'm assuming true things about you. You don't know that. I could have a valentine. I Well... That might be true, but that doesn't mean you're less lonely and sad. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, Moving on. guys, happy Valentine's Day. Yeah. Um, if you're, you know, celebrating. Celebrating. Otherwise, happy. Treat yourself. February fourteenth, I guess. Yeah. It's like a Wednesday or something. Yeah. Do you have anything you want to talk about on the intro of this episode? It's a holiday episode. I don't. I don't think so. Right. No, we try not to do new stuff because, like, it's sort of just like extra content. I will say, before we get into this movie. Last year, we watched one of my favorite movies we've done on the show. My Bloody Valentine's Day. My Bloody Valentine, which is fantastic. And if uh, you all don't know, I have some Blu-rays. That is one of the only ones I bought like a steelbook for. If you're going to watch that movie, watch the extended cut. Yeah. Or like the director's cut. So much better. You do have to buy like the Blu-ray. And we, we talked about it on that episode, but there's a couple scenes that were taken out of the film because yeah. they were too graphic. And they were added back in for the extended cut. They're a little bit scuffed because you know it's only mild footage but that removed footage makes that movie like 10 times better oh it's so much better because it's basically all the body reveals and all the kills were cut Mm -hmm. and they're left in they are graphic and very well done oh so cool uh with that being said though we're obviously not going to watch my bloody valentine's 3d because we've already talked about how we're not doing sequels or remakes for holidays yeah because that's been covered you know I don't want you guys to have to do the same thing every year. Unless we run out of content, and then that's what we'll do. Ben, I don't think we're going to. We have a lot of movies we haven't seen. We could get to the the bottom of the barrel, and I'm like, I'm not doing that. Ben, I think that might happen when we reach, like, episode 1,000 or something. Oh, God. Well, at this pace, it's only, like, five years. (laughs) I was about to say, we're on track for 1,000 episodes, Ben. Uh, Anyways, uh, today we are going to be watching Valentine from 2001. Oh, Wow. So, okay. Interesting. I didn't expect to see a movie from, I would say, post-2000 yet for a holiday. I mean, fair enough, but... Because, like, I feel like when we do holiday episodes, it's like an excuse to watch older stuff that is iconic. But I guess we already got the big one in My Bloody Valentine. Yeah, that's probably the most iconic. And this one's pretty decent because, you know, it's called Valentine. Yeah? Okay. That's a a pretty on-the-nose name. Sure. What do you mean, Sure. Well, I mean, like, it's not called Valentine's Day. You know what I mean? Yeah, but still. That's the only way it could be more on the nose. Like, April Fool's Day. Like, that was that one is pretty... Ah, that's a good movie. Description? Happy Valentine's Day, Angel. Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> is it going to be, like, a weird, creepy one? Because I don't know if I can handle that. Well, you know, it's a horror movie, so most horror movies are creepy. But no. Nothing but, in particular. But, like... I don't know. I guess I was hoping for, like, another slasher or something. But if we get, like, weird, creepy... I don't know if I could do it. Length, it's an hour and 36 minutes long. It's rated R. Mm-hmm. Uh, review scores. IMDb gave it a 4.9 out of 10. Ugh. Tomato meter, 11%. Oh, God. And an audience score of 33%. Ben, we can't keep doing this. Ah. We can't keep... This is our first holiday movie of this year. No, that's not true. Well, a first holiday movie... There was New Year's. 
Yeah, but that like counts for 2023 because it came out on like New Year's Eve 2023. Not really. I count it that way. Yeah, well, you can count is, it wrong because it was New Year's 2024. No. This can't be. We can't start the year off with. We can't have a year of dog shit. It's fine. We'll have movies. fun. We'll have fun. I chose this movie a year in advance. Oh, damn. Okay. Yeah. It's one of those. Awards, uh, two wins and three nominations. Oh, that's more than I expected. Dennis Richards as Paige Prescott. She played Dr. Christmas Jones in The World Is Not Enough. Christmas Jones. Yeah, I believe it's a uh, James Bond film, right? Oh. That sounds like a James Bond name. I don't name. know. We've discussed this. I've never seen a James Bond movie. Yeah, that's a James Bond film. David Boreanaz as Adam Carr. He played Celie Booth in Bones. I've never watched Bones. But you are a huge fan of that show. I like it. Yeah. My favorite story from that TV show is there's an episode where someone... Okay, first of all, if you don't know about how the format works, they usually find the body in the cold open mm-hmm. or deal with you know some aspect of that. And there's an episode about someone who is... I'm going to describe as mulched and then turned into chili. Oh, my that God. That is served at, I think, a school. Ooh, and That's fucked up. That episode came on, and I was eating dinner, which just happened to be chili. So I was like, hmm, pretty good. So that was fun. Marley Shelton as Kate Davies. She played Dr. Dakota Block from Planet Terror. Ooh, I want to watch that. I, I've heard I've, that name has come up. That movie has come up multiple times on the podcast. Yes. And I know vaguely about it. It seems cool. Well, I mean, you have to remember that's one of the trailers that was in um, Grindhouse. Oh, yeah. I, I'd forgotten about that. Sorry, I'm, I'm trying to think. I, I can't remember. Have we seen her in anything else on this podcast? I don't recognize her name. I think we're, I'm thinking of someone else who was in that movie. Yeah, probably. Um, Jessica Capshaw as Dorothy Wheeler. Uh, she played Abby on Holidate. Hmm. Don't sound super excited about Holidate. I don't know what that is. I've never uh, heard of it. Jessica Caulfield as Lily Voigt. She played... Margot in Legally Blonde. Also never seen that. Yeah, that's kind of sad. What do you mean you. that's sad? It's sad for you because you know so many people who are into that and oh, musical for it. For sure. No, so, you're totally right. It's like, and you were a theater kid. Yeah. It just feels weird that you haven't seen it. That's what I meant. It's just one of those ones that like missed me. Like it was just something that a lot of my friends were into, but I didn't get into. I mean, fair enough, but it's still like, you know. Like I got all the other like, Big musicals, but that was one of them that I didn't. Next up, Catherine Heigl uh, as Shelley Fisher. She was Allison Scott from Knocked Up. Heidi Burris as Ruthie Walker. She was, she did actually a couple voices on Final Fantasy X. Oh, shit. I didn't uh, play ten. If you're curious. Specifically, she did Faith, Anima, and Yuna in the English version. Hmm. Uh, Fulvio Cesare. As Detective Leon Vaughn, he played the a uh, the cab driver in The Age of Adeline. Uh, Daniel Cosgrove as Campbell Morris played Richard Bag in National Lampoon's Van Wilder. Uh, Johnny Whitworth as Max Ramey, uh, he played Vernon in Limitless, and Woody Jeffries as Brian. Uh, he was the watchstander from Double Jeopardy. Uh, directors Jamie Blanks, do you know that name? Yes, but I'm blanking on the name or on the movie. You suck. It was a funny joke, Ben. Urban Legends. Oh shit! I have okay. Can can we go on a small aside really quick? 
I guess. <clears throat> it's urban legends related, if that makes it feel better. You feel better about it? The movie or just urban legends in general? The movie. I saw an article that uh, they're bringing that movie. It's set at, what is it, Pendleton University, I think is what it's called. Uh, is that the first one? Yeah. Good I, sure. I think, I think I'm right. It was filmed at the University of Toronto. They're actually sh- doing a big movie screening of it at the University of Toronto at, for its like anniversary or something. Pretty oh, that's kind of cool. It's pretty rad. Sorry, I just thought I'd bring that up because it made sense right now. I mean, it kind of made sense right now. It was relevant enough. Exactly. That's basically what this podcast is. <laughs> relevant enough. <laughs> we should, yeah, that's our like, tagline. Our tagline. Relevant enough. <laughs> Good episode name, too. Writer, there's a couple. They're all oh, screenplay writers. Jesus Christ. It's what you love, right? First one's Donna Powers. She also helped write Deep Blue Sea. Oh, is that a shark movie? It's a, it is a shark movie. It's the very, very famous one with the very, very famous scene with um, Samuel L. Jackson. Samuel L. Jackson. I just completely blanked on his name. Yep. Do you know the scene I'm talking about? Uh, no, but I know he's in that movie. Oh, you don't know the scene? No. Oh, well, then never mind. We're not going to watch that movie, are we? Oh, we're going to de- definitely watch that movie. Oh, I've heard it's bad. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> okay. It's a famous shark movie. Fuck. We ever do sharks. You're right. You're so right. We already covered Jaws. I have to find something else to go in that spot. Why not Deep Blue Sea and Absolute Masterpiece? We're going to watch a lot of bad shark movies when it gets to shark movies. I'm going to avoid anything where real sharks die, hopefully. Hopefully. Or real people. Oh, Oh, yeah. There's that one movie. Because there's that one movie. No one knows what I'm talking about. Uh, I talked about it a long time ago. I think on a episode... That wasn't a mainline episode. It's convention prep. I think it was convention prep, but there's a shark documentary called Sharkploitation on Shudder. Really, really good if you're interested in like history of horror stuff, but specifically for like the shark horror genre. Mm-hmm. It goes through like the birth of that genre to the modern day with things like Sharknado. All the old stuff's really cool because I know all the modern day stuff, and I'm sure most of you know it through osmosis, but there's a... There was a lot of shark movies where like real sharks died back in the day. And there's one where one of the shark handlers dies and they put the footage in the movie. In the movie. Which is wild. And it's, it's really fucked up. Anyways, next one. Wayne Powers also did Deep Blue Sea. Okay. Gretchen J. Berg. She works on three episodes of Pushing Daisies, which I really like that TV show. If I told you about it, I think I have. Probably. I'll just tell you about it again. It's really sad because it got canceled. Mm. But the premise is it's about a baker. He makes pies. That That's his thing. And he has, I'm going to describe it as a curse. I guess you could also say it's a superpower. But he can touch anything that's dead. Oh, we've talked about this. And it comes back to life. But if he touches it again, it returns to being dead. Yeah. The issue being that if it stays alive for more than, I think it's 60 seconds, something else nearby dies. Yeah. So it's it's very much a, a risk-reward thing. He actually works it into his daily life because he can get, like, rotting ingredients and touch them and turn them into, like, peak of freshness stuff. Whoa, that's cool. And then it just rots something else. So it, it works out pretty well for him. You just keep the rotten stuff. Yeah. That's pretty dope. Because it is vaguely equivalent exchange, mm. you know. I see. Last one is Aaron Harberts, who also did three episodes of Pushing Daisies. So I think there's only four, not five. That's uh, still a lot, man. Yeah, it's, it's still a lot. A budget's estimated at $29 million. 
That's pretty good. With a box office of thirty six point six eight four million. It's not not great. But not they great. did make their money back. It wasn't they, like a f- flop. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't a flop. Well, it was a still, flop. It wasn't a loss. Yeah. Country of origin. United States and I think technically Canada. That's where they did the filming. Oh, okay. Also known as, and these are both working titles, Love Hurts Ooh. and Valentine's Day. Okay. I no, you don't I can't so I said Valentine's Day. Yeah. Love Hurts is an amazing title for a Valentine's Day themed horror movie. I mean like, I like that one. Fair enough. I'll tell you the tagline after. Oh shit. Okay. It's not like a big spoiler, but it is somewhat so, of a spoiler. I'll have to remind you. I'm saying that out loud because normally when this happens, I forget to ask. Well, don't forget. I'll try. Aside from that, I think the only other thing to note is that this film is loosely based on a book of the same name by Tom Savage. Oh. If you're curious. Okay. Interesting. Also, I'll bring this up now because I know I'm going to forget later. You do get the joke in the description, right? Huh? What was the description? Uh... Yeah. Happy Valentine's Day, Angel. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> now I get it. Because, uh, yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah. That I knew that's who. Th- God bless. That makes so much more sense now. If anyone's curious, one of the actors in this film, David Boreanis, who plays uh, Seely Booth in Bones, was yep. also on Buffy the Band. Vampire Slayer as a character named Angel. He also got his own spinoff show. And then he got his own spinoff show titled Angel. Mm-hmm. Um, that's probably like his most famous role. Yeah. Those two. No. That's what I know him from, not Bones. Yep. I know him from that because my dad. I was waiting for you to like go, yeah, I no. get it. Ha ha. Yeah, no, so no, I, I didn't get it because I'm stupid, Ben. I know. That's okay. Okay. All right. Well, we'll be back in a minute, guys. Yeah. We'll uh, see you guys in a minute. Hi everybody, welcome back. We just finished watching Valentine. Yes, that is the correct name. Yeah. I, look, I fucked it up earlier, okay? Yeah, that's fine. I you just, fuck up a lot. I, I, I'm forgetful. What'd you think? Okay, and I wanted to say this during the movie, but I didn't because I, you know, save it for this portion of the podcast where we actually talk about the film. It is a lot better than I expected. Yeah, I, it's... Definitely better than I think the review scores would imply. For sure. I was surprised, I actually. Mean, I think the IMDb one is a more accurate review. What like was that? 4.9. 4.9? Yeah. It's not... Versus the audience score... Of 11%? And That's the ridiculous. of 33. Because, look, at the end of the day, this is a slasher movie. Yeah. And it is a holiday-themed slasher movie, which is admittedly its own bag of camp. And the thing I want to get to with this movie, and I'm going to say it here, is it's pretty generic. Like, it's sure fairly by the books as far as slashers go. It's nothing new. And there's nothing in it where I'm like, wow, that was over-the-top amazing. But it's not a bad movie. It's, it's decent and it's passable. Mm-hmm. For sure. And it's got a good amount of pretty well-known actors in it. So I do definitely think it's more enjoyable than the ratings would imply. Yeah, that's that's what surprised me for real. Like I we got near the end of the film and I went to go say like I I was heavily surprised by how much I actually liked the film. Yeah, we were both having a good time during the watch. Yeah, like fun movie. And also, I'm going to say this now before we really get into it. It's not as Valentine's Day forward as I expected either. For a movie called Valentine, the Valentine's Day stuff really is just kind of background stuff that they throw in every once in a while like my buddy valentine is extremely valentine's day like in your face there's decorations everywhere they're always talking about it 
it's very over the top in that way. This movie feels more. It's worked in naturally in the same way it is in like Black Christmas. Exactly. Like, yes, that is a Christmas movie, but it's not like a Christmas movie in the way that Silent Night, Deadly Night is a Christmas yeah, they're, movie. Yeah, they're not leaning into the gimmick. But they're using it in a way that's actually interesting and useful. Yeah. Smart. Mm-hmm. With that being said, I guess I'll just do the brief rundown sure. of the plot, and then we'll get into our regular section. Uh, with that being said, obviously go watch this before we b- spoil anything. Yeah. We basically gave no spoilers beforehand. We've given I mean, you nothing. I didn't even mention that this was a slasher yeah. before we watched the movie. So I, I do highly recommend you going blind. It makes the experience a lot more enjoyable, as always. Uh, with that being said, a uh, brief rundown here is basically there's these girls. They've been friends since middle school. Mm-hmm. They call it junior high, yeah. which I know people do in some places. Where we live, it's always called middle school. But in their, what, first year of junior high. I would say, they, yeah, they're sixth probably grade, like seventh, maybe seventh graders. I don't know. No, they said sixth grade. Oh, did they? Yes, they did. Oh. I'm just trying to think. what? How old is that? Oh. Do you know off the top of your head? Twelve? Sure, 12 or 13, whatever. Is that a little high? Is it? No, because yeah. start, I started high school at like 14. Right. So, so maybe 11. 11 or 12, yeah. yeah. I mean, Anyways, it depends on what time of the year you're born. Um, This group of girls, they met in assumedly middle school, but they've been friends since then. And they're being stalked by a killer. He wears a Cupid mask mm-hmm. and like a black trench coat kind of thing. And... He's been killing them and leaving them messages signed from J.M. Yeah. And a big part of the movie is this whole, like, who done it? You know, who the killer is. Mm-hmm. We don't know. But they think J.M. is this guy they knew in middle school who collectively they kind of embarrassed during uh, a middle school dance. Yeah. And led to him getting uh, brutalized by a group of schoolboys. Yeah. Um, his name was what? Jeremy Miller? Marquette. Nope. I Jer- swear it's it's not Miller. It's Jeremy Marquette. Or nope, something. that's Jason Marquette. Oh, you're Different so character. right. It's not Jeremy Miller, is it? Oh, it's so, it's it's an M for sure. Did you write it down? No. No. Oh. Jeremy Melton ah. is what it is. But yeah, that that's the the rough plot there. And they they assume the JM stalking them is is Jeremy Melton. Yeah. I I will mentioned right now that kind of ties into the uh tagline which if you're curious because i didn't mention it earlier oh you remembered because I, I did want to go into this movie as blind as possible mm-hmm. uh for you at least because i thought that'd make it more interesting uh remember that kid everyone ignored on valentine's day he remembers you oh my god yeah, it's it's pretty cheesy but it, it definitely does a brief summary so yeah for sure with that being said we're gonna go into uh Discussion about the movie. Mm-hmm. Obviously, spoiler warnings ahead. We are going to have a spoiler section at the end of that where we talk about the ending specifically mm-hmm. because, again, this is a whodunit. We're going to talk about you know killer reveals and stuff like that. So in advance, big spoiler warning. Go watch the film before you hear it. Yeah. Uh, with that being said, is there anything particular you want to start talking about? Yeah. I, you know, I said that I like this movie more than I expected. And I think that comes from a low expectations from the outset because, you know, 11%. I was like, Jesus Christ, this is going to be yeah. a bad slasher film. And also 
our experience with holiday stuff is not always the greatest. Not always the greatest. So I was I had low expectations coming in. You know what's really cool about this movie? And we mentioned it. This was directed by the same person that directed Urban Legends. Yes. Same no. Urban Legend. Urban Legend. I, I lied. Yeah. I added the S like a moron. That's not your fault. It's a very confusing naming system. No, I know. Well, well if I admit the second one, I would have said the full name. Urban Legends Final Cut. Cut. Well, Urban Legends colon Final Cut. Yeah, ridiculous. Anyway, I think I enjoyed it because I like his directing style. Like, I think, because he directed this and I yeah. like that movie. This feels like a more refined version of that in a lot of ways. Like, that first, I like Urban Legend. And it's very gimmicky in a lot of ways, but this is a more grounded version of a very similar gimmick sort of thing, like gimmick slasher. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense that it'd be more polished. It's what, three years later? Yeah. So. But like, there's just tons of stuff where I got the same vibe, except it's more, it feels more refined and more worked on, I guess. Yeah. And I mean, part of that might also be not only the fact that like the director has more experience, but we're farther along like culturally. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Into the early 2000s modern slasher movement. But yeah, you you can tell the styles is still there. I yeah, mean, for sure. We were watching the cold open and Bob went, oh, I yeah, I can tell. Yeah, because we haven't talked about it, but like the cold open is long. Yeah. But just like Urban Legend, long cold open. And it's really good, too. I will say the cold open in this is top. Yeah, we'll get into that in a little bit. But uh, yeah, you can really tell the style. I think one of the, the biggest issues I have with that style, though, and this is... I think just a, a general issue I have with some movies from the early 2000s, mm-hmm. not specifically with this director, but, you know, he's he's directing in that time period. Uh, it's very bright yeah. overall, and I don't know. I don't necessarily prefer bright horror movies. They're not necessarily, like, an issue all the time. Uh, in fact, some some movies use brightness in very, very good ways to contrast the horror modern example would be um midsommar mm. which is set basically entirely during the day oh really That's or cool. um the better version of that film the wicker man which mm. is also pretty bright and so you know having a bright setting and bright lights during your cinematography of a horror film can work but i don't like how it's used in a lot of like early 2000s stuff as far as horror films go because They'll have a lot of scenes where it's supposed to be dark, mm-hmm. and the lighting is basically the exact same as a well-lit room, and it creates some, I don't know, believability issues for me, personally. Okay. I don't know if you have that same issue. There I was, don't, but I understand where you're coming from. There was very specifically a scene where a guy's going into a dark basement, mm. and it's well-lit, Yeah, even though it's very clearly supposed to be pitch black because he can't turn on the lights. And I watch that scene and I'm like, I can see everything. This scene would be a lot more, I think, thematic and tense if it was dark. I think that that is more why I'm in the camp of is like, there's a lot of scenes in this film where, you know, the killer's supposed to be like, he's fucking wearing a black trench coat for fuck's sake. Like stalking around being a menace. And you're supposed to like, it's supposed to be scary or creepy or like stalkery. But because you can just see him, because there's no darkness, it's kind of whatever. Yeah. It really tones down a lot of the stalkerish elements of the film in a lot of ways, where you're supposed to see him in the background doing stuff. Yeah. So, I, I don't know. I, I just wanted to bring that up. There's not a lot of uh, shadows and darkness. Mm-hmm. It's not always a bad thing, uh, once again. In fact, in this movie, one of the big benefits of having brighter films is 
it's really easy to watch. Yeah. Um, if you have a shitty setup or something, I mean, we've run into films where they're so dark it's hard to watch. In fact, yeah. Um, you know, this is from 2001. Films in a couple years from now start to get really, really dark. We watched what Rob, Rob Zombie's, Zombie's Halloween two, two, and it's basically so dark it was hard for us to see. Yeah. We haven't watched this yet. Alien versus Predator two also has that same issue. Really? And that's from that same time period. It's the Rob Zombie one. So, you know, while I do have an issue with the lighting here for thematic reasons from, like, horror movies in this time period, I don't... It has its benefits, Yeah, I will say. I mean, you know, darkness is always a tool, and sometimes it gets overused, and then it sucks. There's really... It's kind of hard to balance, for real. Yeah, and then I think brightness was overused, and that kind of sucks. Um, that's not to say the director doesn't know how to use shadows... Going back to that same scene where uh, we see this guy in the basement where it's supposed to be pitch black, there's some light flickering that happens in the background. There's and some we cool get shadow stuff. To see the killer like outlined in darkness. So he, he's definitely capable of using shadow yeah. effectively. It's just the movie doesn't – it's too bright, and it yeah. impacts, like Bob said, I think some of the stalking sequences. Because that's like kind of the whole point of this slasher film is – well, at least this one specifically is this person is stalking these women. He's like at every turn, he's around. You know, he's like leaving them gifts and leaving them flowers and stuff like that. So it it kind of sucks that one of the strongest points of this film is toned down just purely because of lighting. Yeah, and I I think that's a nice transition into the fact that Bob's right. This the whole premise of this is like these women. I think there's essentially four of them. It's a group of five. But one of them gets wiped out really quick. Yeah, cold open. In the cold open. But, you know, the whole premise is it's a bunch of women being stalked by a maniac. And, you know, obviously I think that's leaning on some real-life issues that uh, women face. But, you know, more importantly, it's supposed to be, like, creepy. You're supposed to get this feeling that there's a killer Mm -hmm. always there. He's just right around you. And I didn't feel like the film did a good job of that. No. There is... I will say a couple good sequences in which we get to see the killer like stalking. In fact, there is a really, really, really good shot that's POV and you don't realize it's POV until the killer reaches out and grabs something. Yeah. Which was, it just felt super Jalo to me if you've mm-hmm. ever seen. No, we haven't seen Jalo stuff on here. Well, I don't think we have. What are you thinking of? I was going to say Suspiria, but that's not that's really. That's not really. But but it has similar vibes. It has similar vibes, but you don't know this yet. There's a, usually a pretty heavy emphasis on POV killing mm-hmm. and Jalo stuff. Yeah. Especially because this killer's wearing like, you know, a black. Black trench coat, black gloves. It's a trench coat or it's a pea coat. I don't know. But yeah, the black gloves and mm-hmm. it, it just really felt like that. And that, that was probably one of the most effective stalking sequences. For sure. And because if we'd gotten more of that, I would have loved it. it. It emphasized this idea of, oh, you don't know he's there, but he is. Mm-hmm. However, a lot of the film didn't emphasize that, and it feels weird because, yeah. you know, a part of this film, and I, I think I touched on it earlier, is the fact that the killer's leaving, like, these notes and stuff, Yeah, which means he's, like, around these women when they're not expecting it, and yet we don't, we don't really see that. It's not really emphasized. Yeah, and I, I kind of wish we had gotten more stuff like, I don't know, a la Halloween of, like, seeing the killer in the background. Doing stuff. I think that is a very, very good example of what I'd want. Yeah, just more of, like, the killer being present without the characters knowing. Yeah, or maybe the audience, like, looking over. Yeah. I think that would make him really effective. Because, you know, most of the time he just appears. Yeah, I mean, like, you know he's there. 
like or around because like their implications, the music changes, you know, you know the feeling of the stalker being there, but I don't know. I guess not being shown it makes it feel less threatening. Yeah. I don't know. It's it's something I wanted, especially because again, I think a lot of this film is supposed to hit on the ideas of issues women face, mm-hmm. especially with like interactions with unsavory dudes. Yeah. Uh, and some of the fear of just generally living their lives mm-hmm. that they have to face. And I mean, I think that's, it's shown very well in other parts of this film. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, God, the speed dating thing. Yeah. And I think that's, that's something I want to talk about right now because it, it's, it's a big focus of this film. Mm-hmm. Well, it doesn't come out through the killer's stalking like I want it to. It is very much weaved into the, the DNA of this film. I mean, straight off the bat, the whole assumption of this film is that Jeremy Melton, this kid from sixth grade, got essentially turned down for dances and humiliated by these girls. And so he's seeking revenge. He's escalated to murdering people. That is, I think, probably the best example. Yeah. But throughout the movie, there's just a bunch of dudes, and every single one of them is just a scumbag oh, suck. to these women. Just generally objectifying them. Oh, God, Brian. And being creepy. We can go through the list. Uh, there's Vaughn, not Vince Vaughn, Detective not, Vaughn. He is a detective. Who, who was okay at first, and then he became a scumbag. He seems okay, and then he starts hitting on Paige, one of the women. Yeah, um, who he's supposed to be helping because they're being stalked and murdered. And definitely sexually harasses her a little bit. It's it's not great. There's Brian, who seems fine at first. He's okay. He's a douche, but like, because he's, they meet him at speed dating. And the first thing out of his mouth is like, you want to get out of here, but very clearly in a, you want to get out of here and hook up kind of way. Yeah. And he's super forward and in a, not in an aggressive way, but just in like a gross way, in a gross way. Once again to Paige, because uh, if you haven't picked up on it, Paige gets it the worst. Oh my God. Who else? There's a Campbell who is a gold digger, a gold digger who's taking advantage of another one of the women, Dorothy. Mm Mm-hmm. The art dealer, what's his name? Max. Max, who's just a sleaze ball. He's just a sle- he's just really horny, and he has no brain thoughts. Yeah, his head just—he doesn't have a brain. But yeah, I mean, basically, oh, Jason. Oh, we've heard about Jason, who just talks in uh, the third person. The third person about himself, and it's just like Jason wants sex. Yeah, he's fucking weird. Um, but yeah, point being is that there's a bunch of guys in here who just treat the women not great. Yeah, and that's kind of. Kind of the point. With that being said, for how much the film like emphasizes guys being not great to women and like kind of the struggle these women are having to go through with being like objectified and stuff like that, I think it's also very interesting that the film focuses pretty heavily on like their dating lives and stuff. Mm. You know, uh, this film's set in 2001 and these women are like in their 20s. Yeah. So they're doing a lot of like early 2000s like dating options oh yeah speed dating speed dating but there's also like videotapes where you have to send them assumedly over mail yeah i I think it's just a very very interesting balance of like yeah we're showing the the negative sides of their lives from like outside forces Mm -hmm. uh but we're also showing like the internal pressure to like to date someone to date find someone and how that's not working out with these external pressures I I don't know. I I thought that was a very good backdrop to this whole this whole thing. No, because it it 
it explains why they're putting up with all these shitty ass people. Yep. It like gives us a real reason to like be like, yeah, I get why you're dating this dirtbag or like talking to this piece of shit. Because he's been the best dirtbag so far. He's been the best dirtbag so far. Speaking of dirtbags, we missed one of the dudes. Who? Gary. Oh, God. Gary fucking sucks. Gary's the neighbor of one of the characters, Kate, who has been breaking into her apartment and stealing her underwear. Stealing her underwear. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I mean, that's kind of why you see like, oh, I'm putting up with this guy because he was the best out of all the the Mm -hmm. dirtbags or the best out of all the options. In fact, I think that's a good way to introduce Adam, who is basically the only guy in the film who isn't like the worst. The worst. And he's vaguely in a relationship with Kate. But I, I think it's very important to note that like he very much falls into that category of you're the best option. Yeah. Because he has he has problems. He's I think a borderline alcoholic mm-hmm. and he's not abusive or anything, but it's it's very clearly like a strain on him and Kate as a couple. Yeah. And I think the film really goes hard to emphasize that like that's not great, but he's definitely better than everyone else all the other girls well, are the, seeing the thing is he's actually trying to fix his problems and the other dudes are not trying to fix their problems yeah that's true like he's he's like i think at one point he says yeah i'm three weeks sober like he's genuinely putting forth effort and trying to do better for this woman and all the other dudes just blow yeah but i i do want to point out that i think it's interesting that he's not like portrayed as perfect no he's just the best option mm-hmm. <laughs> Having said that, I think generally all this stuff, all this, um, you know, minor, more social aspect of the film is meant to make the, well, I'm just going to say four main women seem more approachable mm-hmm. and just more sympathetic, you know. For sure. It's supposed to help us get to know these women and like them. And I think it's a good attempt, but I'm going to be honest here. None of the four main women in this film are very noteworthy. No, they're all kind of whatever. Like, we struggled for a good portion of this movie to try and figure out who was who. Yeah, figure out all their names. And I I think it's a main problem of this film is the fact that, you know, these four main characters, I'm not even going to say five because the fifth girl just died in the cold open, are introduced super quickly. Yeah. And we're just supposed to be, like, okay with who they are. And I... I think it was very detrimental to the film. No, I do too. Like, there was no slow introduction to who these women were and Mm -hmm. the fact that they're friends. We were just like, oh, this is Lily, Kate, Paige, and Dorothy. Yeah, these are the main characters, and they're here doing things. And, um, yeah, it was just a struggle to to grasp onto them. No, and, like, what sucks is you by the end of the film, you know their names, and you understand who they are as people. But when at the beginning of the movie, it's all very confusing and jarring because you don't get any sort of introduction to each individual character and their personalities you're just kind of thrown onto the deep end of here's the four main cast characters figure it out and like that sort of sucks when you're watching a movie that you mentioned it is super like ingrained in their social lives and like aspects of their personalities especially because it's like dating and that is a whole thing yeah, I, I just felt like I was thrown into the middle of a situation in progress. Yeah. And that's not what I needed. No, especially, like, in a slasher, too. Like, yeah, slashers don't have great characters, usually, and that's kind of the point. But in a slasher like this, where you're, you know, dealing with people's lives like this, 
in the way that you are in this film is like dating, you kind of need more. Yeah. It needs to be stronger because a lot of this film is just them talking to dudes without a lot of like slashing happening. Yeah, I mean, I just want something removed from all of that just to get the a brief rundown on these characters right at the beginning. Yeah. That would have been nice. Honestly, though, that's kind of all I really want to say about like interpersonal stuff here. Mm-hmm. So I think the next thing I want to talk about are the kills in this movie. Yeah. I, you know, I'm not going to mention any specifics about like who dies yeah, of and course. what. And I'm, I'm going to try and stay away from maybe mentioning the specific kills. But I have kind of mixed feelings about the kills in this movie. Most of them are pretty lackluster. Yeah. And bog standard. They're they're fine. They're fine. Uh, but like not what you want from a slasher film, mm-hmm. especially so late into the slasher genre. Yeah. Uh, you expect kind of some batshit banana stuff. Some oomph because, you know, there's been a bajillion slasher movies and you yeah. need to distinguish yourself. Now, I know, again, the time period this is coming out from is the same time period as like, I know what you did last summer. I still know what you did last summer. Scream. Urban, Urban Legend. Legend, obviously. Where there was more of an emphasis on like, yeah, these are rated R horror movies, but they're for teens. Yeah, like 16-year-olds. So, you know, you didn't want the same ludicrous amount of violence as, like, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But it just, it feels lackluster sometimes. Yeah. And, you know, with some films, again, that focus very heavily on suspense, like, you know, I Know What You Did Last Summer, which basically has no blood except mm-hmm. for one sequence. It works, but in this one, it was just kind of disappointing i think one of the most disappointing examples of this is one person gets killed with an axe to the back and the axe goes in i think off screen and Mm -hmm. we see the character fall down and it's just the most clean like the axe is sitting in your back with a tiny like pool of blood in your clothes yep and that just kind of i think summarizes most of the kills in this film however i was gonna say most however well most of the kills in this film, I think, are super simple like that and almost lackluster. There is a couple fi- like kills in the film that have very, very good setup and framing around them mm-hmm. that makes them work. Yeah. And it, again, it's kind of that idea that I mentioned before with, you know, uh, I Know What You Did Last Summer, where you have to rely on the dramatics surrounding the kill and building tension to make them have weight. Yeah. Since you're not, like visually showing it one of the best examples of this is the cold open kill cold open kills good uh because like bob said it's a long cold open it's definitely not as good as the cold open from urban legend well no that's probably the best part of that movie that yeah it's straight up a short film but uh the cold open of this film is pretty long Mm -hmm. i mean again it's almost its own self-contained short story yeah and the kill well it's basically as simple as that Axe in the back. In fact, I'd say it's more simple. I was going to say, you don't even... There's blood on the knife? Yeah. And that's like it? But the way it's set up and how drawn out, like the chase sequence and stuff, Mm -hmm. really gives it weight. There's also some stylistic stuff with how like blood drains and stuff like that. Yeah. It works. And, you know, there is a couple kills in the film that do that. Yeah, for sure. Especially at the end of the film where, you know, the killer's just going at it at that point. There's no more stalking. At that point, they get actually pretty creative. Mm-hmm. There's one where someone uh, will just say gets slammed down on some glass. 
That's yeah. probably the most graphic out of all the sequences. Mm-hmm. Can't say it's very creative, but it's still cool. It's graphic. It stands out, and I think for that reason, uh, it, it hits a little bit more. Uh, but there's just a really, really, really creative kill in mm-hmm. this movie involving, uh, not to spoil too much, I guess we'll say a lidded area <laughs> and power sure. tools. <laughs> sure. We'll leave it at that. That's funny. Um, and that one's like, there's, that one's good. That's good because it's so creative. It's, it is such a cre- – it's one of the most creative kills we've seen in a film in a while. And more importantly, it works with all that building tension. Like it's drawn mm-hmm. out in a really nice way. It's slow and agonizing in a way that's so nice because in a film like this where it's a revenge story, the killer wants them to feel anguish, wants them to feel pain, and that's a painful way to fucking go. Yeah, and I I think that brings me back to my, my previous problems with this film of like I don't feel like the killer's stalking enough. And, you know, a lot of the issue with some of these more simple kills is, you know, like, stalking element to them. Yeah. You want to feel the hate behind the murder in this. Yeah. You really, really want to feel the hate behind the murder. But, yeah, again, mixed bag on the kills because some of them are really decent. Yeah. Some of them are kind of meh. But there's definitely not enough of them for the length of this film for that menace of the kills. Because, again, slasher films, especially this late, we all know what we're here for. Yeah. And if my kills aren't going to be, like, the most amazing thing ever, I want more. But the first half of this movie is it's basically empty of them. Mm-hmm. I do think it can make it a little bit, not rough. It's slow. But slow. It's a bit of a slog. I, this is a film where... Not a great way. I mean, it's what, like an hour and 30 minutes. It's a pretty normal length movie. And at one point, I was just like, okay, can we can we speed it up, guys? I mean, I felt like we were going through it pretty fast because we were riffing on the movie. Yeah, we were it was joking. Fun, we but... were like, this is a fun watch. But Especially because like all the guys being dicks and you get to be like, oh, you fucking sucked. Yeah. But even then, it's it, it's like, when's stuff going to happen? Yeah. Having said that, the last thing I want to talk about here before we get into, you know, the spoiler section, and I, I don't know if you have anything else, though, is the whole whodunit aspect of this film. Oh, I was going to save that for the spoiler section. What are you talking about now? Uh, no, I'm just going to touch on it, and then we'll get into it in the spoiler section. But okay. the, the thing I really want to touch on here is I think it's very well done. It's really good. You all know me. I'm a fan of whodunit type films. And They're Bob like, Bob gets tricked by them admittedly more than the average person. For fun. Uh, you can tell me if you're being legitimate. We were watching the movie and you were like, I don't. Yeah. I don't no, know. I was like, I don't know. Because, you know, a big aspect of this film is, okay, we're pretty sure it's Jeremy Melton. It is, it is more than likely this JM person. It's heavily implied that JM is Jeremy Melton. Mm-hmm. Because, like, that's the main tying factor between all these girls yeah of like this is a person who would hate all of you exactly however it's never flat out said no it's never confirmed or anything it's just implied it could be anyone that's more, the whole thing more importantly uh it turns out when they're looking into jeremy melton that no one really knows what happened to him they can't find him so like the only picture they have of him is like 10 years out of date yeah so it's this kind of this idea of he could be any of the guys that yep. we've seen throughout this film. Mm-hmm. And what I think the film does so well is not only does it kind of set up some of these guys, I could have done better with some of the setup on some of them. Sure. But more importantly, it emphasizes the fact that we don't know enough about 90% of these guys to rule them out. Mm-hmm. So it could be anyone. More importantly, we keep seeing these guys pop up over and over and over again. Yep. The... Most impressive, I think, version of that is there's 
one random guy at speed dating. <laughs> He's only focused on for half a second as a it joke. It is actually half a second. Because, like, he can't say anything. He's nervous. But later on in the sequence of the movie, there's a party. Yep. And I spotted him for half a second yeah, in, the in the background. Yeah, he was in the background. Because he tried to do the same thing. He tried to talk to one of the women he saw at speed dating, and he, he couldn't. But, like, the film does that, where mm-hmm. it just keeps showing these these random guys, and it's like, well, it could be anyone. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think that was done it, very well. It does an amazing job at giving us reasonable doubt yeah. for who the killer could be. I, I don't think there's any, like, specific mystery, but it's the reasonable doubt that I think really yeah. makes it work. I mean, that's what got me, at least, because I was sitting here like, okay. Because there are tons of people who it could possibly be. Yep. So it's sort of, it's always, it's completely up in the air the entire time. It's probably one of the main people we're focusing on. Yeah, because, you know, that would be a satisfying end to the story. But... It couldn't be. Who knows? Who knows? Um, with that being said, though, that's all I have. So do you want to go into the spoiler section, or do you have something else you want to talk about here? I'm trying to think of if we've covered everything I want to talk about. I think I'm good to go to spoilers. Okay. Then, uh, you know, spoiler warnings ahead, because we're going to discuss the actual end of the film. Yeah. This is Future Bob coming at you to let you know that if you do not want any major spoilers for the end of this film, please skip to 54 minutes and 38 seconds. Once again, for no major spoilers about the end of this film, please skip to 54 minutes and 38 seconds immediately. Alright, so if you're here, we're about to spoil the whole film. Yeah. Right, so uh, again, highly recommend you watch it, because again, it's a whodunit, so knowing what happens is pretty cool. Basically... The film comes to an end. There's a party, right? And the killer is at the party. It's a Valentine's Day party. Yeah, of course. Which is supposed to mirror the whole Jeremy Melton thing at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jeremy Melton was like... Embarrassed at a Valentine's dance. Ten years ago, and now ten years later, Dorothy is throwing a Valentine's Day party. And very specifically, Dorothy was horrific. Oh, Dorothy fucked him up. To Jeremy Melton. But, you know, long story short, the killer is at this party. And they're slowly knocking off people. Mm-hmm. And at the very end of the party, we get to basically only three people left. Yeah. Alive that we know of. Dorothy, Kate, mm-hmm. and Adam, who's Kate's boyfriend. And they've been kind of fighting towards the end of the film because uh, Adam ended up drinking yeah. at the party. Because there was a bunch of champagne just Everywhere. around. And um, he's definitely pretty early on his journey. And you relapse when you're doing AA stuff. It's it sucks, but it's understandable as long as you keep trying. Long story short, Dorothy accuses Adam because she's like, Kate, how do you know it's not him? It could be him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this whole movie, Dorothy's been catfished yeah. by Campbell, another dude who's at this point in the film dead. And, you know, Kate is obviously pointing this out. And eventually Dorothy gets really mad and she's like, I hate all you guys. Because you've all been popular, and I'm the fat friend that just hangs around, mm-hmm. and she storms off. And so eventually it's just Kate, who eventually starts thinking it actually is Adam that's the killer. And so when she runs into him again, and he's kind of drunk. he's I think he's more than kind of drunk. He's pretty drunk. And seeming menacing, uh, they get into an altercation. And eventually the whole film comes to an end when... The killer attacks Kate at the top of a staircase. Mm -hmm. They both fall down the stairs. The killer supposedly gets probably knocked out a little bit. Mm -hmm. 
it's a tough, it's a rough tumble. And then off screen, we see a gun come up and put like I don't know eight rounds in in the person's chest. Maybe shot him six times. More than yeah. In the chest of the killer, and it's revealed that oh, Adam isn't the killer. He no. killed the killer, and the killer on the ground is Dorothy. However, the film does its all wrap up stuff, and we get to the end of the movie, and. Adam and Kate are cuddling, and we see Adam's nosebleed, which is a reference to the fact that the killer the whole time was getting nosebleeds during his killings. Yeah. Um, which is also something we saw Jeremy get at the Valentine's yeah. dance. Although technically nervous. those could be unrelated. They could be. And, you know, we watched this ending, and Bob immediately went, I didn't like that. Yeah. So do you want to start talking about this? Yeah. Look. I thought it was wrapped up in a nice little way with Dorothy being the killer. Makes sense. She just explained why she killed them. She hates their fucking guts because they're all horrible to her. And, I mean, after that, Adam even goes, like, sometimes it's just too much. Yeah. The implication here being that for some reason, Dorothy put on the killer's costume and attacked Kate, which does not make sense. Mm -hmm. Why would you do that? A la Scream, I guess, in the same fucking vein. Like, I don't know. I just think it's kind of silly. And what do you think the implication with Adam is? That he's Jeremy Melton. Okay. And do you think the implication is he's doing the killings? I would assume. Or it was Dorothy? One would only assume. Okay, so you assume that he was doing the killings, and then at the end of the movie, Dorothy got dressed up? Yeah. And attacked Kate? Yes. Okay. I think that's an interesting read, Bob. Why? I, I think you might be a little stupid. Why am I stupid? So, what I'm pretty sure happened is... You know, Kate's doing her final circuit, right? Yeah. She loses Adam for a bit. Because during this final circuit, uh, she'd been confronting Adam, but Adam's just himself. Yeah. Right? Uh-huh. We don't know where Dorothy is. Uh, we never saw what happened to her. Yeah. And the the first time we see her since, you know, Kate starts her final circuit is when her mask gets taken off. I'm pretty sure what happened is during one of the sequences where Kate lost Adam... Adam went and retrieved Dorothy, where he probably knocked her out previously when he's stalking the party as the killer. He'd put the mask on her when Kate Kate had the gun at some point. He threw <laughs> Dorothy at Kate in costume, so they fell down the stairs, and then shot Dorothy so he could blame all the killings on her. It looks like she gets attacked. They're, they do a whole like fight sequence down the stairs. No. The killer just falls on top of Kate, and they both tumble down the stairs. Oh, my God. I'm pretty sure Adam put the costume on her. And tossed her. And tossed her at Kate. Because Adam is right there at the top of the stairs. It's true, and he instantly picks up the gun. I'm pretty sure that's what happened. Okay. I'm pretty sure it's a whole setup so Adam can get away from being the killer scot-free. Yeah. With that being said, I do think your read that Adam is Jeremy Melton is... It's pretty true. on the nose. Yeah. In fact, it it makes his whole monologue at the end of the film where he's trying to explain why you know Dorothy would do these killings make a lot more sense. Yeah. Where he's like, sometimes uh, you just have a lot of pain and rage inside you, mm-hmm. and you get really good at hiding it, but sometimes it's just too much. Yeah. And, I mean, honestly, it's – for the whole Jeremy Melton kill, it's one of those reveals where, I don't know, I don't necessarily like it because, like – Adam is by far probably the most likely suspect. Oh, for sure. The whole movie. Oh, yeah. I do think that the movie does a good job of 
not making him seem like the killer mm-hmm. because he he fills that same role of he's so obvious he's probably not. Yeah. So the fact that he is feels a little disappointing. However, I do think the whole like it could be Dorothy beforehand kind of makes it a little it bit It softens the blow for sure. Softer. I think makes it at least a little bit better. It's just for how much the film emphasized the idea that it could be anyone. For it to be the most obvious suspect is disappointing. Feels disappointing. Yeah. It does, however, come from a nice place of, oh, it was the creepiest conclusion all along. It's Adam who worked his way into Kate's life. Yep. Which I think is probably the scariest take on the whole. Oh, for sure. It's definitely the most, like, horrifying version. Because now he's essentially won Kate's affections forever. Yeah. And why would she assume otherwise? Yeah. I I don't know. At the end of the day, it's, it's one of those reveals where I'm like, I kind of like how the end of this film turned out. But I don't love it. Yeah. I mean, it, it could use some work, and I think... There's just something something missing, and I, I don't necessarily think it's the ending so much as it's how the ending fits with everything else. I don't think the the themes behind it were built up enough. Yeah. <sighs> and I think... it's just... It kind of sucks. <laughs> here... Okay. Hear me out. I think if... Not the, not the ending, but like the fact that I don't like it as much as I feel like I should... And I think you don't like it as much as you think you should because I feel like, and we've talked about this earlier in the fucking podcast, if we had gotten more of the stalker stalking and doing creepy, weird shit, the ending would probably feel a lot better. Yep. Because it would make, it, I would feel more. Especially because Adam wins you over. Yeah. I think. I think it would feel like more of a betrayal and I, like a sort of yeah upsetting I, thing. It's especially, it's not necessarily because of, the dialogue, but more so the actor he's being played by is very True. charismatic. But it's just, it's one of the, like the parts of this film where I'm like, oh. Yeah. And what sucks is like, it gives us so much reasonable doubt. And like the rest of the set, all the red herring stuff is good. Yeah. It just kind of is it all, fine. It, it'd be nice if he wasn't so obvious the whole movie, I think, too. Yeah. Adam's just too obvious. Well, it also explains why we haven't really uh, discussed it. Somewhat, it explains a lot of the stuff that happens. That it is, <laughs> yeah, Adam. like Gary dying and being murdered because yeah. she mentions to Adam, she's like, "Yeah, someone's been stealing my underwear," and Adam's like, "Yeah, I'm gonna kill that guy." Yeah, because I'm crazy. All right, well, that's that's it. That's kind of all I wanted to talk about, especially because I knew Bob read the ending wrong. I didn't read it He's wrong. like, "Why? Why did Dorothy just suddenly dress up as the killer and attack?" <laughs> I thought that's what happened, bro. All right, we're we're going to go back to I guess probably the recommendations. Yeah. Hi everybody. Welcome back. Or if you're still with us. Hey. Oh. All right. You want to give it recommendations? Yeah. Uh if you like Urban Legend, I said it earlier in the film, earlier in the film, earlier in the podcast, Urban Legend vibes. Yeah. For the whole movie. Not as gimmicky of kills, but... No, but they're still cool, some of them. It's the same director, you know. And I I can tell that from the kills, because very much in Urban Legend style, some of the kills are really, really good and super thematic and awesome. Some of them kind of blow. Yeah, that's Same fair. thing. If you like whodunit slasher films like I Know What You Did Last Summer or Scream, in the same vein, I, I would recommend it for that. If you want a Valentine's Day-themed horror movie and you've already seen My Bloody Valentine... This is cool. I I like it. I don't want to say I like it more because I don't. I like it more as a Valentine's-themed horror movie because it's not as, like, ham-fisted and over-the-top and ridiculous. 
in terms of like shoving the Valentine's Day stuff down my throat. So that's cool. I think those are my recommendations. Okay. I think straight up the back, if you like slashers, especially from the early 2000s that are kind of whodunit, yeah. um, this is right up your alley. Especially if you like Urban Legend, because, you know, same director, it has the same vibe. But that being said, the biggest recommendation is obviously if you want a holiday movie, specifically a Valentine's Day movie, well, I don't think this is as good as My Bloody Valentine. Um, that movie is great. Mm-hmm. This is good in a very different way. Yeah. And I think makes a nice like holiday watch. Aside from that, I don't really have any other recond- recommendations uh, besides, you know, the simple, if you like anyone in this film, you know? Yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, David Boreanaz is famous, you know, Angel, Seely Booth. But, you know, uh, Denise Richards, who I didn't really touch on, is in some horror stuff, a, a good amount, actually. She's in uh, Wild Things, uh, Tammy and the T-Rex, Scary Movie 3, not really a horror movie, but... You know, she's pretty famous in that community. She's also in Starship Troopers. Anyone likes that film? Huh. Good movie. Have you ever seen Starship Troopers? No, I haven't. It's pretty funny. Yeah. Uh, it also has, because I, I know you're not going to know Neil Patrick Harris's name. He's Barney from How I Met Your I Mother. I know Neil Patrick Harris. Okay. What are you talking well, about? Sometimes you don't know people you should. He's also in Starship Troopers. I didn't know that. Yeah. You know what's crazy? I see the stupid fucking, uh, the gif of, uh, I'm doing my part from... Starship Troopers yeah. all the time. That gif is so funny. Oh, you know what? I'm going to touch on this right now because it always makes me angry. Starship Troopers is – it's a funny movie. Yeah. And there's plenty of memes from it. Uh, it is by far probably the worst adaptation of a book I've ever seen ever. There's no way. And you said that before. I've heard many people say that. I think Evan has said the same thing to me before. The director had like one of his interns read the book, and he was like, hey, can you summarize this for me? <laughs> the intern summarized the book. The director went, that's stupid. I'm going to make a movie that specifically makes fun of the themes of this book. Oh, that's awesome, though. It's kind of funny. That's hilarious. But the, the book is really good, but it's a very, very serious like novel yeah that deals with some pretty like serious themes and the movie is is very much not oh god it's not bad but it's just you watch a lot of things in starship troopers and you're like this is fucking stupid (laughs) um but yeah if if you like people in this film uh who else uh the person who plays i think it was lily jessica caulfield Mm -hmm. was also in urban legends final cut yeah we realized that during the movie she was uh the bad actress yeah so yeah long story short people you like in the film go check it out Mm -hmm. i think it's worth it rating okay you know i mentioned this i'm a little slut for this type of film you know i like these kinds of movies these are my kind of my jam for real and honestly i'm still kind of riding the high of how low my expectations were it's not amazing but it's way better than I expected. And also, it's like a pretty decent Valentine's film. Pretty decent slasher. I really, a lot of the weaknesses of this film come from like, some of the kills aren't great. And some of the characterization characterization isn't amazing. Yeah. It's just not like a great film. It's passable. It's passable, but I think it's better than a three. Yeah. Because. <laughs> That's exactly how I feel. It's like, the whole thing is kind of passable, but there's a 
few things sprinkled throughout that are pretty exactly okay. like it's it's above bar but it's not that much it's not that far above the bar <laughs> some things are really weak and some things are strong yeah three and a half i think it's a solid three and a half yep that's like, that's exactly where i am with the three and a half because i'm like some of these a lot of the film is just par just pretty standard but then there's a few things that are a little bit below but then there's a, a good amount of things that are slightly above but i think another benefit is we watched this film together yeah and we were having a good time and mm-hmm. laughing with each other about dumb shit that we thought was funny yeah which i think definitely improves the experience oh yeah if we had watched this i think by ourselves it wouldn't have been as great it wouldn't have been as fun no yeah with that being said though we're gonna go to the outtakes now yeah we marked a lot this one there's a lot of funny things this time we'll see what gets kept but uh we'll see you in a minute yeah we'll see you guys in a bit Hello, everybody. Welcome to the outtake section for this episode of Beware the Board. I hope you're enjoying our review of Valentine's so far. I like this movie. I think it's pretty fun and a very, very enjoyable Valentine's Day watch. But without further ado, let's get in to the outtakes. This first clip is Ben comparing me to young Jeremy Melton. Oh, my God. Look at this fucking dweeb. Bob, that kind of looks like you as a kid. No, it doesn't. (laughs) Don't say that. (laughs) Do not say that about me. It's true, though. This next clip is Ben asking a good question and then bringing up something that's absolutely disgusting. Why isn't she in Scrubs? That feels weird. Does she need to be? Uh, I don't know, but I wouldn't be cutting up an, a corpse in like my casual clothes. That's fair. Because I get corpse juice on me. Corpse juice. Ugh. That's disgusting, Ben. What it's, a disgusting description a, of blood. It's a fact. No. No, because that, they're, they rot. It's not... That's a cool card. Oh, yeah, that is a red card because that's custom made. But it's not like just blood. It's the juices from like ah, their insides no. starting to liquefy. Stop. Stop. Especially because she was cutting up his, his stomach. So there's Stop. some stomach fluid in there, Don't too. Don't they drain the bodies before they do things like that? Uh, It depends. But when they drain it, they're usually switching out like the blood with embalming fluid and stuff. Ugh. But that's different. They're still corpse juices. This next clip is Ben figuring out exactly who the killer is based purely on his initials. JM. Jason, Jason Momoa. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the killer in this film is Jason Momoa. This clip is our reaction to one of the better kills in this film. This is my personal hellscape. It's like a maze of yeah, sexual imagery and glitching screens. Oh! Holy fuck! Hey, the intro came back around. The arrow thing you talked about? My intro? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, two arrows, you fuck? She only needed the one! Well, it's just in her stomach. Oh, that was- A third arrow? Bro, you gotta stop. Oh, into the trash can. Where she belongs. That was- that was cool. That was cool. That was a cool. That was a cool kill. I that was one of the better bow and arrow kills I think we've seen on the show. This next clip is Gary getting what he deserves. Also, the iron's on again. Who keeps doing this? She is not safe. No. About plugging stuff in. That oh god. No 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 no. Bob's afraid of gloves. No, I'm afraid of irons, Ben. Oh, she's about to get. Oh, it was it's Gary. Oh, Gary's been taking her undies. And putting them on. He's like, you, shut up. (laughs) 
<laughs> Take it easy. I am not well. Of course you're not, Gary. You're sneaking into a woman's house and trying on her underwear. Oh, God. Oh. Okay. Ow. I mean, that makes sense. That's one way to get somebody. I was expecting that scene with the iron to be way worse. Yeah. I was expecting uh, maybe something to do with curling there as well. Maybe uh, one of those. Kind of sleepaway camp. Yeah. This next clip is our reaction to the most brutal kill in this entire film. He's like, oh, never mind. <laughs> oh, into the shower. Oh, my God. Oh, no. Come on, man. Don't do this to me. Don't do this. To I hate this shit. Oh, these are my least, not least favorite. I like them because they're. Oh. That was brutal. This next clip is our reaction to the most creative kill in this entire movie. Ah, uh, that's fucked up. That's a fucked up way to go. There's air. For now. For now, yeah. I can't imagine it's an airtight seal. The real issue is you, you'd overheat to death. Eventually. Or get tired. Oh! What the fuck? Holy shit! That's crazy! Hey, at least there's more air now. Yeah, until he drills through you. Holy shit! That's a wild way to go. Oh, yeah. That, there you go. Oh, that has to hurt, too, because it's fucking hot and, like, chlorine water. Well, yeah, also, it's a drill that just rotated through your flesh. Also that... Hi, everybody. Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed the outtakes. Do we have any announcements, Ben? I don't think so. We said that last time. Yeah, but... <laughs> we forgot to announce that this was forget. happening. <laughs> so, you know. I think we're good. Not that we really do announcements on holiday stuff. Nah. But that being said, uh, we do an actual podcast. It's called Beware the Board, uh, and we do weekly episodes of that that come out on Friday. Uh, this is not part of that. No. This is a holiday episode. Uh, you should go watch that because that tends to be to be better. What are you talking about? Nice. But the movies maybe are better on yeah. that part of that show. And the structure too. Ah. Was well, a part of like a seasonal. Yeah, format. yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, check those out. They come out every Friday or technically Thursday at midnight. So yeah, you know, twelve oh one a.m. Friday. You know, those are on everywhere you get your podcast: Spotify, Apple Podcasts, stuff like that. Uh, we're also on YouTube, which, while not the most ideal for audio content because it's a video platform, it's kind of nice for us at least because it's how we measure engagement. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, looking at subscriptions and likes and views on videos is a lot easier than uh, looking at like Spotify anal analytics or like our IRS. No, RSS. RSS analytics. Not um, the internal. I don't know service. about my taxes, but have you filed your taxes? Ah, oh, damn. But, uh, you know, YouTube's really great for helping us out there so we can see see that stuff. With that being said, YouTube does have its benefits for you guys. There's a search function on there, which lets you search all our episodes if you want to look for specific keywords. Uh, for instance, if you want to look at, like, 
movie names. Yeah. It's an easy way to see if we've covered a movie, and then you can see what episode number it is, and maybe go watch it somewhere else if you don't want to watch on YouTube. But the really big thing with YouTube is the comment section. You got it for every video. You can go down there and you can comment something. It's probably one of the best ways to communicate with us about something specific. However, the other way you can go communicate with us is at Twitter. Uh, it's at Beware the Board. That's run by Bob. And you can go tell him, I don't know, all about your day. How much you love him. How you've always loved him. Oh, God. How you want him to be your Valentine's. No, please don't. It doesn't really matter what you tell him. He'll probably maybe respond. Please don't be weird. He'll just be like, don't be weird my DMs, people. <laughs> I don't want Someone that. Someone wants to dance on the internet with me. No, please no. Like Ben said, check us out on Twitter, board. It's where we post updates about the show, information about the show. Basically, if there's anything you want to know about the show, it goes on our Twitter. On Mondays, I post a spoiler post for that Friday's episode, which is a hidden movie cover that you can reveal, so you can watch the movie before we do. So whenever you listen to the episodes, you don't get any spoilers, and we're being vague about stuff, you kind of know what we're talking about. Then on Fridays, whatever day the episode goes live, such as, you know, a Wednesday, like today, that this is coming out on Valentine's Day. I always post a link to the episode, so if you've ever missed an episode so and want to know when something went up, there's always a link on our Twitter. Last thing, we do short form content on TikTok, Apple Wear the Board, and on YouTube Shorts. So if you're into short form content and you like the show, check us out there, Apple Wear the Board on TikTok and on YouTube Shorts. Benjamin, I think that's it. All right, we'll see you guys next time. Yeah, see you guys next time.